0: We're in Philippians. We're studying Philippians and Colossians. These two letters Paul wrote to uh, great congregations of the Lord's people. We're looking into these for the sole purpose, of course, of figuring out what he's taught them that we need to be taught. And last week, we spent quite a bit of time talking about two things that Paul mentioned in chapter one there in verse uh, nine. Real knowledge and what was the other one discernment real knowledge and discernment we spent quite a bit of time on those and and that's good because uh, what he's going to do in the next part 12 and following is talk about uh, how real knowledge is being preached but not always by people who appreciate it so that's where we are verse 12 remember, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Why does he say that? What's his purpose that he's got here to tell us in this letter? He's still preaching even while he's in prison. And remember in chapter 28 of Acts, well, let's go back. I don't know if we looked at that. I think I might have told you about it, but I don't know if I told you. uh, Or if I showed you, if we read that together from the 28th chapter of Acts. Let's see. Now I've got to find it. Uh, verse 16. Paul arrives at Rome, and he's, he is a prisoner, but this is what it says. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews and they came together and he began saying to them, brethren, though I had done nothing against the people of our customs or um, against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. So he's in prison, but you can see it's it's not like. Paul or Peter and no Paul and Silas (laughs) remember when he was in prison by the way what city was he imprisoned in where he was in the stocks with Silas Philippi. it was in Philippi that that happened when he established the church there when he preached the gospel let's see who were those people in Philippi he preached to the household of come on now who's saying it the, the jailer is one, but was he first? Lydia was before those two households he preached. That was in Philippi. So he was there, and he and Silas were in the innermost prison with their feet fast in the stocks. And what were they doing? Cursing out the jailer and the Roman authorities for putting them there? No, they were singing praises to God. That's what they were doing. And, of course, God released them by causing a great earthquake. The chains fell off. The doors opened. Anyway, nobody fled. That's, that's back in chapter 16 of Acts here we are in 28, and Paul is a prisoner of Rome, but it's very different here. He's chained to a prisoner, chained to a guard, but he's allowed to have visitors come. It, it looks like a about as accommodating an arrangement as you, as you could have had in the day. He is, after all, a Roman citizen, and so they treated him with this degree of respect and honor. And he had people coming and going, uh, as it said. So that's the picture of his imprisonment that we get from Acts 28. But... We read in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 13, that because it was this way, the gospel has been made known to the entire praetorian guard. And he says in verse 14, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. How does that work? How do you suppose that worked? Have you ever had a circumstance like that where you saw what somebody else was going through? And what they were going through emboldened you to, to be better, to do more. Sometimes circumstances that we would not say are all that good can turn out for our good because they give us an example of somebody living by faith. Uh, when was it that the Roman centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God? It was, it was after the crucifixion. After he saw Jesus die for six hours on a cross, that's when he knew this, this guy was the son of God. There were other things that he observed, but there's something about living out your faith that impacts the thinking of people who were paying attention. And I think that's what was happening here verse 15 this is interesting some to be sure are preaching christ even from envy and strife but some also from goodwill i am at a loss to explain the details of the envy and strife part but what could that be have you thought much about this how could people preach christ out of envy and strife Okay. I don't know how familiar you all are with modern day preachers who are on TV. Some of them I really enjoy listening to because they seem to be very earnest in their scholarship of the Bible and their desire to impart the knowledge of God to others. Others I listen to and I can't stand them more than about 15 seconds because it seems as though they are making a show of the gospel. This kind of thing to me is probably very similar to what Paul is talking about. But what does he say about all this? He's glad because Christ is getting preached. He says in verse 17 the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. Rather than from pure motives, I'm glad nobody's doing that anymore, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And right now, you're probably thinking of some TV preacher. What then? Verse 18. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This is not the first time Paul talked about rejoicing. But he is Rejoicing quite a bit in this letter. Verse 19. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now when he says deliverance, what do you think he's talking about with regard to deliverance? Okay, he's he's going through persecution. He's obviously been arrested. Have the Romans arrested him? Not well, technically, I guess you could say it was the Romans because they are the authorities. But it wasn't based on Romans, Roman persecution. It was based on persecution of his own countrymen, his native countrymen. That's why he's in prison. That's what he explained uh, in chapter 28 of Acts. And while he's in prison, he's hearing about these other guys preaching the gospel that he would probably like to go and put them in their place, some of them, others he would very much encourage But at least he's seeing and rejoicing in the fact that the gospel's being encouraged. But does he know how this is going to turn out, this imprisonment? He does not know. Yes. Deliverance. You you can be delivered in more than one way. You can be delivered from sickness and death. Or you can be delivered, be delivered through sickness and death. So he says this in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame <clears throat> shame in anything. My voice is changing. I'm coming into that age of time. But that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death so he's he's talking about deliverance but he's not saying it in such a way oh yeah i'm going to be delivered i'm going to get out of this jail he's he's talking about deliverance that comes from god and is through god but maybe by means of his death being delivered by his so he says this in verse 21 what does he say somebody read that 21 through 23 who's got it chapter 1 21 to
1: 23 to die is gain
0: if i am to go
2: on living in the body this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, did you say through
0: 24? I'm sorry. No, 23 is good. Okay. 24 probably would have been better, but I just said. 23, so. <laughs> but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Thank you. Thank you. sir. Correcting my, my mistake there. I'm not looking for a show of hands. I say that a lot, don't I? (laughs) How many of us can put our name in this text? Can I say to me, to Marty Kessler, to live is Christ? And to die is gain. To say that death is gain, what am I claiming I'm willing to do? Willing to die. But if Marty is to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor. Marty doesn't know which to choose. Marty's hard-pressed from both directions. Marty has the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better, yet to remain in the flesh might be more necessary for your sake. Now, Paul could say those things about his impact with the church in Philippi, but what can you and I say? I'm not trying to make myself or you feel bad that's not the intent at all I think this is a very real point in Paul's life that he's come to and he's accurately saying these things he's inspired of the spirit and the spirit wouldn't inspire him to say something that's not true that's not absolutely 100% accurate and he's saying live or die for me to live is that's Christ for me to die is gain and I don't even know which one I want. Do you know which one you want right now? Ladies and gentlemen, know that it's better for you to stay for the, those, these
2: people's purpose. You know, sometimes we may be in the same type of thought. I would like to go, be with Christ, receive the reward, but it may be better for me to be here with my family, my grandkids, and my friends to hope I can influence them to become Christians. Now, we all want to go, only God knows where <clears> we are going. The well, way this whole world's coming, they used to hear prayers, "Lord, come quickly." You don't hear that very much anymore, but we
0: need to get back to that. Maybe we don't say "Lord, come quickly" because a lot of us have loved ones who are not ready. That's all right. That's the one thing that stops me because I I want to say that you see the way the world's going on right now, and our own nation, the way the, the, our own countrymen are going on. And Lord, when are you going to come back? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a while. Wait a while longer. Yes?
2: There's a little country song. I have only heard it one time, and maybe somebody's heard it and can tell me about because I'd like to find it again. But the chorus was everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Right. And uh, I just think there's so much truth to that, that we get very caught up into our lives. And it's like, yeah, we want to go to heaven someday, but we're pretty busy about our own little you know, things that we enjoy. And and nobody wants to go now, you know. But but Paul's passion, I think, was he was so involved in in God's God's objectives, you know, in God's work, that he was like, okay, this is Christ, but the die would be king. But I, I I don't know that there's many of us can, can be put ourselves in that place. That's that's why
0: I'm asking you the question. I, I don't want to make anybody feel bad about this, unless of course we should feel bad because we've got a, a really poor view of of uh, of our faith in Christ, but- to me, that's where it all comes down to. Paul had a relationship with the word. He knew the word. But even more than that, he, he knew Jesus. I mean, they, they were uh, so tight, so close. He had no doubt that his home was in heaven. He, he writes to this church talking about our citizenship and where our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on the earth. It's in heaven. Peter would say the same thing. Uh, pilgrims, strangers, aliens in this world. why would we be aliens in this world if we belonged in this world? Well we wouldn't be. We're aliens in this world because we don't belong here. This is not our home. Our home is with God. And so to die is gain. but I the, the older I get, the more I think, oh, okay, I'm ready Lord, take me now because I, I don't have the vigor that I once had physically but but now I've got grandkids. I don't want to leave my grandkids. Am I putting my grandkids ahead of my faith in Jesus Christ? Or am I... Because, yeah, see, this is this is our out. Listen close. This is our out. If we want to keep living because we want to influence our children and our grandchildren for God, is that a good reason to keep living? Isn't that what what he just said? For me to live is... Christ. Now... We read this. No, I take that back. I read this. I don't know what you think, but I read that. And I think for me to live is Christ, Christ to the world, Christ to the lost. But what if, what if we should really be thinking Christ to my own family? Me being Christ to my own family, to my own wife my own husband well I don't have a husband but some of you have husbands to my grandkids to my children to my my whole family Christ in my family and and then also to the world to anybody I can be Christ too Harold
1: your family that's critically important I think but if we could just in my mind at least if we can grasp the viewpoint the, the world might be changed. There may be a few people's lives changed if I just put some effort in trying to contact them and tell them about Jesus Christ. If I do that, God may have a use for me still yet. And it's more than just my family. It's, it's people that I might be in contact with. It might be a neighbor down the street that's new moved in. Why wouldn't I just want us to take a little time and talk to them? Encourage them to come to church to worship with us. I think God has a use for us still. And of course, the day will come when we'll be gone for sure, and the the blessings is, a, is enormous that's been promised to us. It's way out of my understanding, but I I really try to understand it. But I just think that we've got He's got a use for us still, and as long as we're trying to make the best use of who we are for what we can do to lift up Jesus Christ, we're trying to do what He wants us to do while we're here. You know, He loves us and that's the only reason we're, I think that's the only reason we got opportunities to do the way we do. Because we've got the gospel, we've got a chance to help tell other people about it. And we really need to do that. I believe that's really important for us.
0: Here's a man who's in prison. And he's still effectively working in the kingdom to bring about change for good. Every day he's on his computer. Every day he's, he's sending out documents. Uh, how did you write in the first century you had to have some kind of a stylus and and you went letter by letter on something less probably than the paper we've got now paul
1: every every teaching in the scriptures there's its counterbalance to counter that because we're so bad with balance in life i mean that's why our body maintains homeostatic balance without us because we're not good at balance and for me especially my stage of life, First Timothy five eight is the perfect counterbalance for feeling bad about not wanting to go right away. And it says anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household is denied the faith and is, and is worse than an unbeliever. Right. So you know we don't need to worry about feeling bad that we're we we do not want to go right now. Uh, just living for the right reason. <laughs> go ahead.
2: A lot of insight into what he might be feeling about the check you know,
0: okay. and, and
2: when he talks about all that he's endured, you know, in, in his you know, you know, spreading the gospel. Shipwrecks and his imprisonments and, and
0: beatings and, and, and yeah.
2: everything else
0: and danger you know, by brethren.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, the brother had to be tired. Yeah. You know, just.
0: But of course, you know, when I think about Paul, I think about a guy who's he's totally single. He. He doesn't have a wife and doesn't have children. I don't know any of that stuff. He was part of the Sanhedrin, and to be part of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. So maybe he did have a wife somewhere. We just haven't heard about her. I have heard about the epistles. I think, weren't the epistles the wives of the apostles? Is that the way that worked? Okay, maybe not. I just threw that out there. You threw it back. So. One
1: of the other things is we
0: And there's nothing unnatural about not wanting to die. Duh. I, I I don't want anybody to read this that well. I don't. I'm not ready to die right now, so I must not be very spiritual. No, that's that's not the point of what he's saying. He's saying I'm ready to live, but if I live, it's going to be Christ because Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. What do you, where do you read that? Galatians chapter two. Isn't that a song? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me life that I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's that's the passage that's been made into a song, and and that's what he's preaching here too. To live is Christ, to die is gain, and he doesn't know which it's going to be. But you don't find Christians committing suicide because they're so ready to die and meet the Lord. You don't see that. Because God didn't build us like that. That's not the truth that he's given us. His his truth is you live your life as an example to others. And when death comes, don't be afraid. Because who's, who's, uh, who's overcome death? Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he's overcome death. He said that about the world before he had died. But now he's saying it. As one who has come back from the dead. And the the realm of God is everything. He's even the one who created hell. He says it in uh, Matthew 25. Lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wasn't prepared for us. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So even that was prepared by God. There is no place in existence where God is not and does not rule supreme so don't be afraid of death but don't be afraid to live I think there might be more people afraid to live than there are afraid to die and that's a matter of faith as well
1: when you're young you, know,
2: you, don't, you don't need to feel like you're ready to go right away but in your situation with Paul is in prison and Every time he went into a city to go to the synagogue, he got beat up and left dead. and dead you know he went through he listened to hard Times and what he's saying. But it seems to me that it may be situational where someday at some point you may be in a situation where man, this is no this is not a very good life. You know, I mean right now we live in the U.S typically we do we're doing okay. Health is our biggest you know, threat seems like a lot of times you know but, but uh, right. But there are situations where maybe we'll find ourselves in. This, that's that's when we can look at well, man, I'd just rather be dead than be here in prison, but maybe there's a good reason for me to be here in prison, you know, maybe there's a reason for me to be in this pain and suffering, you know. Maybe someone's watching that's young that says, you know, and that, that guy went through he's going through pain and suffering. I've watched a lot of people go through pain and suffering and I'm thinking, man, when our time comes, I hope I'm as good as they are up with it, you know. I hope I can still have a smile on my face. I hope I can still, you know, I've seen people dying that that walk in here and and you're smiling on your face you're thinking, I'm not as good as that guy. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, I just want to be like that guy in that situation. And And you just keep preaching Christ, you keep living your life, no matter what situation, and and if he decides to take you, well, it's time to go.
0: And you think about that context you just mentioned. You, you see somebody come in here that you know is dying and they still have a smile on their face. They're, they're living in that context, and Paul is writing out of this context. If, if he had been writing from uh, the beach down at Cancun, might be a little different, but he's not. He's, he's in prison in Rome. He's been taken by the authorities to Rome, and he's in prison and the possibility of his death is imminent. And so he is saying in that context, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Well, it's no big deal whether I live or I die. And, and you hear people who get sick in a way that threatens their life. You'll hear faithful Christian people say very similar things. I'm ready. I'm ready. You'll hear people, some of them, asking God, how many have we heard the prayers of and for? Asking God, Lord, just let me, let me come, let me go. Uh, I'm ready. So this is about faith, whether we're living in this life or passing on to the next. So verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of the, there's that joy again, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Jesus Christ through my coming to you again. And then he has instruction for the church. What's he say? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. C- can you do that? It, it's like you're teaching somebody how to throw a baseball, some kid. See that plate down there? The umpire dusts it off so you can see it from the pitcher's mound. So you want it to be right over that plate. About how high? What's that? Letter high. Oh, letter high and knee. I never heard the letter part. Oh, letter on the shirt. I got you. Oh, okay. That that's where you want it, and that you know that that plate's not very big, especially for a little guy. And you say that that's where it needs to go. So he throws it, and he doesn't hit that box. What do you say? All right, here's another ball. Throw it right down the middle, letter high, knee low. And he throws again, and he misses it. What are you going to do? You stupid kid, get out of here! No. Give him another ball. Throw it again. So he's, he's telling the church, how can you live in a manner worthy of the gospel? You can't do it. But it's not, it's not the technicality of living in a worthy manner of the gospel. It's the technicality of valuing that kind of behavior and pursuing that. I can't love like Jesus loved, but I can give it a shot. I can't be faithful as Jesus was faithful, but I can give it a shot. And that's what Paul is doing. And he's telling the church, he's encouraging them. He's writing from prison, telling them to walk worthy, uh, conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whether I come and see you or remain absent, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. What did they have in Philippi? They had opponents. They had opponents. And he says, don't be afraid of your opponents. I'm writing you from prison telling you, don't be afraid of your opponents. Then he says this. Be in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. But of salvation for you. And that too from God. What do you make of that? Absolutely. There are only two sides. Only two sides. There is no middle ground. Jesus said, you either sow with me or against me. And so Paul is saying you have enemies. And God knows who they are. And he knows who you are. Verse 29. To you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to do what? Isn't that an odd thing to say has been granted? it's it's been granted to you to suffer what does that mean yes Does this have anything to do with walking worthy of the gospel? Do so you put these things together? You, if you walk worthy of the gospel, what did he write in another letter? He said, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. You live godly in Christ, you'll suffer persecution. So if, if you're walking worthy of the gospel of Christ and you've got enemies, how is it that you can have enemies if you're walking worthy? Isn't walking worthy of the gospel? Something that would make everybody be at peace with you and everybody love you? Did say that again? Came not to bring peace but a sword. And then what did he say about that sword? A man's going to be at odds with who? His mom and dad, his brothers and his sisters, his aunts and his whole family. That's what's going to happen to households when my gospel comes to play. So, but wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the Prince of Peace. Did he come to bring peace? Shannon? Right. Abraham, what did God ask Abraham to do? What's that? Leave everything initially, but then later on, what did he ask him to do? Take your son up on Mount Moriah and kill him. Now, you can say sacrifice, but that means kill him. What did Abraham say? I'm going to do it because Hebrew writer said that in Abraham's mind, God was able to raise him back from the dead. And this is the boy that he'd promised him through whom he was going to bring an entire nation into existence. So he's going to take him up and kill the boy. When, When Abraham raised his knife or got the knife to kill the boy and God stopped him, who knew then how much faith Abraham had? Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking of Abraham because you don't know. What you're going to do until you're in the situation. But if God brings you to that situation and you follow through. And I'm thinking of Peter. You mentioned Peter. Why would it mean so much to Peter to be able to suffer for Jesus? He denied him. When the chips were down. Now now, back up a little bit. In the garden. Did Peter deny him? No. What did he do in the garden? He drew his sword. He was going to fight. He did fight for Jesus. He was ready to die, I think, right there. But that was because Peter was being able to fight on his terms. And that's what a lot of people want of God. Just let me be a Christian on my terms. I'll fight this ugly world on my terms. God says, no. You're going to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, or you're not my disciple. Oh, well, I don't like that, Lord. Well, then you need to find another Lord because that's who I am. I didn't come into Jerusalem on a great white stallion dressed in armor. I came in on a donkey. I am the Prince of Peace. I'm also the Lion of Judah. I'll be the Lion of Judah to those who need me to be the Lion of Judah, but I'm the Lamb of God. I'm your Passover. Charles? Sorry, I have a a question in the chat. Okay. Somebody watching online. I'll just read it word for word. All right. If we have a family and we die, will God not take care of our family and their salvation? Is it not God through Jesus Christ who saves and not us? Very good. Very good question with uh, more or less a statement. And yes. If God brings us to the point where he's going to let us die, then he's, he's going to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of beyond us. Things don't depend on us, but we, we have this sense of responsibility that I think is is, is God-given. Remember in the, in the first chapter of Genesis, God says to Adam and Eve, I'm giving you dominion. You have dominion, and all of us have a certain degree of dominion. We, we, we dominate in our own way. That's not a bad thing. It's good. We have to dominate. If, if you, you're, you're a kid in school and you get an assignment, you have to dominate that assignment. You have to have dominion over that assignment. You've got to work it. You've got to do it. You've got to complete it. And the more of those you do, the more you learn to have dominion in your own world. You buy a house. You have to have dominion over that house. And you'll think it's having dominion over you because <laughs> you have to mow your yard. You have to paint your house. But that's having dominion. When you have a family... You have a family and you learn to have dominion over your family as a father or as a mother. And you keep that dominion going as best you can. And it becomes a habitual thing that's hard to give up. And yes, faith would tell us God's going to take care of things. But that doesn't make me want to die. Yes?
1: A
2: little bit too. And I'm not sure what the viewer online is thinking, but, you know, today God uses people to preach the gospel. He doesn't just do like He did Paul. You know, He, they don't, he doesn't just, that, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, Romans 10.13 says, "...Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? Who will they believe in Him who have they not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher?" doesn't mean a preacher, but it means any, all of us are priests, all of us are preachers, but he uses people today to preach the gospel, and yes, even if we die, he could use someone else to save our family, but just to be sure that he doesn't just, it's not the, there's there's, I don't know what teaching it is that that, uh, the Lord just falls on you and you can't help to be saved, but that's not how it works today.
0: Right. And it's also an interesting phenomenon that sometimes our impact is increased when we die. I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your family, but when somebody dies, they become kind of iconic and you start thinking, who who were they and what did they stand for? And and they become, even after their death, uh, a powerful influence for however they lived because you you know them as that now, and it's it's static, it's fixed. That's who they were. That's how they died. So their influence is there. So alive or dead, our potential to preach Christ, to influence and impact others, is is alive and, and living.
1: Fathers. Well, in Ephesians uh, chapter six, verse four it says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." If I were a father with children, it would be rather completely a failure or dishonesty what I've been told about training up my children. You want your children to be faithful Christians, and so you try to your best to try to prepare them to that end. So that when you die, they're, they're in the Lord's hands because they're prepared to live a Christian life. Right. And see, that's really important, I think. I it can't is. just go down through life and I live as a Christian and just let my family just blow away whatever they do. Oh, the Lord will take care of them. That's not what I believe we've been given instructions to do. And we yet, need to do the best we can to try to help them become faithful Christian followers.
0: Absolutely. And yet if we die... That it comes back to the question, well, the Lord, the Lord will still be there. He'll still be working. Not everything depends on me. Uh, although that's really how we ought to work in life. Like everything depends on us. Work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. Somebody said that. I think that's pretty good. So, so Peter, he appreciated the fact that he was able to, to suffer for the cause of Christ because he had denied Christ. And this is a way of, of showing again that he is faithful. Like Abraham, it doesn't say it in the text, but I think Abraham come off, came off that mountain with a, a profound sense of his own faith in God and what he was willing to do for God at God's behest to give up his own son, which is a picture of exactly what God would do for us in his own son, give him up. And so we see in Abraham the same kind of faith we see in in God, which is what Paul comes back to. If, if we're in Christ, we're all children of Abraham. And then there's Paul. What was he before he became a Christian? Persecutor of the church. He he didn't say, oh, I just don't like those Christians. No, he said, I'm going to go proactive on this. I'm heading to the authorities. I'm going to get letters. I'm going to travel to a distant city and arrest people who are members of this heresy. And he did it in all good conscience because he thought that was the, what God would have him to do. And then he met God. You think that didn't? become for him a profound life impacting experience to meet the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and to be blind for three days thinking, What am I doing? What's going on? How what's how how did I come to this point? And then Ananias comes in and says, In the name of Jesus whom you persecute get your sight back, brother. And he gets his sight back. And then what's the next statement Ananias says? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins. Calling on whose name? The Lord, you were persecuting us. So now Paul does 180. And he and he goes to the church, and the church just embraces him fully because now he's a Christian, right? No. Barnabas has to go. Guys, listen, it's real. He's not fooling you. Isn't. He's not joshing. He's all that. And now Paul is suffering these things. And he recounts these things. Not like, you know what I've had to go through as a Christian. Man, as an apostle, I had to be shipwrecked. I had to be in prison. No, it's like all this I count. What does he say in this letter? Count it, but refuse for the cause of Christ. That's what it all is. Is that this first or second bell? First bell. Well, we probably ought to quit anyway. About about Three minutes. Okay. Oh, Billy's got to fill in that three minutes there. Well, before you leave, I'd
1: like to tell you the song that you asked about. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But nobody wants to go right now. It's by Kenny Chesney.
0: Oh, okay, Kenny Chesney. <laughs> well, that's not three minutes worth. In case you were curious about that, that's who it's by. Yeah. Well, there's the joke. I thought he was going to tell the joke about the preacher gets up and says, "How many really want to go to heaven?" And everybody raised their hand except one guy in the back. And said, I know you didn't raise your hand, so I, I thought you getting up low to go now.
1: So, Harold? One more comment. If we're not out lifting up Jesus Christ with people that are not Christians, we're not very likely to have any persecution.
0: That's true. That's what Don was saying a while ago. Sure.
1: We just got to take it easy and well, we don't have to worry about that. but. And if we're trying to talk to other people and trying to encourage them, we may have some opposition there and persecution too. But if you don't try, you fail, you know? right?
0: And and we tend to be in our culture, we tend to be embarrassed about that. Oh, I got pushed back for for trying to reach out with the gospel. No, don't don't be embarrassed about that. Count it joy that you got pushed back, suffering for the cause of Christ. And don't reach out with Christ. To make people angry and get pushed back because, oh, that's how I, will show I'm a Christian. I'm going to do something that gets me in trouble. No. Love. If you, if you look at somebody, you know, that person's lost. They don't know Jesus Christ. I know. I, I want them to know Jesus Christ. I want them to have salvation. I want them to be able to lay their head down at night with a clear conscience like Peter talks about. 1 Peter 3.21. A clear conscience. Why a clear conscience? Because the Jesus Christ I know has borne my sins for me and I don't have to bear my sins. I am saved. Do I deserve it? Of course not. That's the whole point. That's why he died. He didn't say, Marty, you died for your sins. That wouldn't take care of it anyway. But he died for me and that's what Paul is preaching. And that's why he's, he's so glad that even when people are preaching this message who are doing it out of wrong motives, evil motives... He's saying, at least Christ has preached, and in that I rejoice. Well, that's our class for tonight. Anybody got anything else? Don.
2: Something I always try to tell myself to do, and I don't do it very often, so I'm going to say it to you guys, and maybe one of you will be bolder than I am. But maybe one way just to say something is just ask people, have you ever decided to follow Jesus Christ? And just asking that question will strike up a question, and it will it can go deeper and deeper and deeper because, like, how did you do that? And I mean, you don't have to turn it into a Bible study. You can just make the conversation. You can be at the gas pump. Hey, you know, you're, you're talking about you're talking about politics, you know. And go, you notice they're not cussing. Have you ever decided to find, follow, follow Jesus Christ? Yes, well, then you can you just... Sometimes your conversations just go into something that... They don't necessarily like what you got to say, but, you know, I mean, that, that's, a, that's just a good start. I prefer do you want to follow Jesus Christ over, you want to go to church? Right. Nothing wrong with going to church. I I love the church. I think our horizontal relationship is great. I think sometimes we get that ahead of our vertical relationship. Um, But there's that balance. I I think other people get the wrong balance of of vertical relationship and forget the horizontal relationship with the church. But... uh. Sometimes I think we just need to get to find out if people are following Jesus Christ. And then, then turn it into,
0: you want to be saying it, then the, then the church. Jesus, Jesus asks the apostles you. a question. And I think it's still a good question to, to start conversations with people who would be interested. And that is, who do men say that I am? Ask people, who, what do you think about Jesus? that's that's a pretty simple question, and it's inviting them. you're not laying anything on them you're just asking what do you what do you think about jesus and if there's any interest in their minds you you might be able to set the hook on that one. you all fished enough to know what I mean by set the hook, the fish gets it in his mouth, and you know when when am I going to jerk this rod and you and you got him if he's looking because there are people out there who are looking and maybe they just are waiting for us to ask the question. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate the input.